everyone. Welcome to All Things Iceland. It's Jules, and I have an awesome guest here today, Jeroen. And he's a Belgian photographer, author, congratulations on that, and professional photographer that resides in Iceland. So his photographic journey, which the name of his book is New Earth, a photographic journey of the Geltingadalur eruption. And that's something that I'll have a link to in the description box for people to check out. And also his photography on Instagram and all the places where he posts things, his website, because it's amazing. And as I personally looked through this book, I was like, holy crap. Like every time I turned a page, I was like, this is <laughs> it's insane how beautiful these photos are. But he's a Belgian nature photographer who specializes in photographing wildlife and landscapes with a great passion. He's been living in Reykjavik, Iceland since 2016 and uses it as his base to explore and capture the raw beauty of the land of fire and ice, as well as the Arctic region in its entirety. So Jeroen, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And congratulations on the new book. Thank you. So just to kind of get started, because I feel like whenever someone is not from Iceland, this is such a typical question to be like, what is, yeah, you're, you're like, I already know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you probably hear it more times than you care for, but what inspired you to move to this country? Um. Well, obviously, as a photographer, it's primarily the nature, or at first it was the nature. Uh, I actually came here the first time in 2012 after I saw the uh, Sigros uh, music DVD, uh, Heima. Mm-hmm. And this got me interested in the nature, and not per se the music, but the, all the footage that came with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, then in 2012, I came here with uh, our local scouts group. I was uh, a leader in our scouts movement. And uh, with the eldest kids uh, in our movement, we always uh, go abroad before they uh, become part of the leadership. Mm-hmm. And uh, we decided to come to Iceland because it was nice and cheap back then because of the <laughs> the financial crisis. That oh, was, wow. Uh, <laughs> like... so it, was, it was the moment to come here. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, yeah, the first thing we did when we came here was uh, to hike the Lögevegur Trail in the Highlands. Mm-hmm. And this left such a big impression on me that I just kept coming back again and again and again. And then um, essentially uh, in 2015, I kind of decided I wanted to move here. And mm-hmm. then on one of my prospection trips, uh, uh, I met... Uh, the person I'm sharing a home with now and nice. I have an amazing daughter. So, yeah. New home, yeah. family, everything. That's really awesome that you were able to integrate yes. that way. Yeah, cool. exactly. So did you start guiding, meaning like we say prospective trips, is that like you personally just coming to check it out or was this part of you guiding in your guiding journey? I was, uh, no, I wasn't uh, guiding really back then. Uh, so okay. I came primarily for photography uh, on my own. And then uh, in 2015 and 2016, I came here a few times uh, just to yeah, get a little bit of a feel before I start, decided to pack up my things and move here. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of what I was doing back then. Yeah. Okay. And when you came, we, this was like in your mind, a long-term thing, not just like see how it goes. Yeah. 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 Okay. It was, it was so long-term like of a plan in my head that, uh, before I moved, I sold everything I owned. So I had people come to my apartment and it was essentially kind of a store. So I just kind of <laughs> I wanted this this sofa and then uh, they just bought it and took it home with them which meant that i didn't have to find storage and whatever yeah exactly it's like a yeah. garage sale but apartment sale i guess if you yeah, yeah kind of yeah <laughs> okay well that yeah that's definitely long-term thinking to get rid of everything you own so <laughs> Good <for Yeah>. you. <laughs> and how long have you been photographer been a photographer or at least photographing nature I kind of started at the same time that I uh, uh, came to Iceland the first time, so in 2012. But before that, uh, when I was a kid, uh, I used to uh, go on these long trips with my parents. And we mm. explored a lot of uh, Northern Europe, uh, South Africa, Canada. Mm. And on these trips, I took a lot of photos. And at one point, I found 
this really old um, uh, Canon uh, SLR, uh, like you know, made out of full metal, very yeah. heavy thing. Uh, made for manual. anything. <laughs> yes, uh, it was built like a tank, and I used it to take all the photos on those trips and. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of got me interested into photography, but then for whatever reason, I never really did anything with it until uh, 2012 when I went to Iceland. And then things kind of progressed from there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's always interesting to me to hear about people's journey because it's like you're literally just experimenting and then it turns, you realize that you're passionate about it and it becomes part of your life, which is awesome. Yeah, and a very expensive hobby. Yeah, exactly. But if you love it, it's worth it, right? That's yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> okay. And is it right that you visited the volcano or the eruption 44 times? Yes, correct. Yeah, I have that written down here. I was like, wow, it's intense. So obviously, that's quite a lot of times. And like I mentioned, you have this book, New Earth, that, I mean, I have it right here with me. And just even the cover is just like, it's really beautiful. And in the book, you are taking us on a journey. So it's not just beautiful photographs, but it's, there's emotions. There's actually like little cliffhangers that make you want to turn the page to find out what happened. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so good job on like it, weaving the story of how you felt into the experience of being a photographer and going there. First of all, that many times. I mean, I don't, I've yet to hear of anyone who's gone that many times. Maybe there is someone else who also has a record similar to yours, but that's incredible, first of all, <laughs> to, to know that you hiked. Did you hike every time that you went? Uh, I only went uh, one time on a helicopter and all of okay. the other times I hiked. Yeah. yeah. 43 times. You must have some extra strong calf muscles and legs and stuff like that now after going so yeah, many I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you that uh, after a year and a half of COVID, I was not in shape at all. So this eruption uh, helped me a lot with that. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's like but, yes. it, it changed you in many ways, obviously. Yes, definitely. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And your first time, I feel like, so I went three times. And while that pales in comparison to the amount of times that you went, the first time for me was just insane. Like I was just so struck by its beauty. So could you talk about your first time going and what kind of feelings that came up and even the experience getting there? Yeah. Like, uh, first of all, I want to mention that for me, this has been a a lifelong dream to see an eruption, Mm. any eruption. Uh, I was here uh, before I moved uh, when Holurun was erupting, the previous uh, big eruption in the highlands. Mm-hmm. I was here twice, and twice the weather was so awful that we couldn't fly over the eruption. So this kind of built up a momentum for me. <laughs> and then when this happened, this was like, you know, when it became clear that an eruption was going to start at some point, I was kind of... Uh, super heavily prepared i had bought a gas mask i had all my camera gear Mm -hmm. charged i had like a ready bag so if the thing would blow i would be ready to go Um, (laughs) and then ironically uh, i went out of town the day that the eruption started because it seemed like it was not going to begin right (laughs) exactly when it started Uh, so yeah i came back and then um the morning after it began, when uh, the authorities had made it clear how to get to the eruption, mm-hmm. I drove uh, with my car to the Blue Lagoon uh, because back then uh, this was the recommended way to go, which mm-hmm. was a horrible way. Yes, so, agreed. Yeah, uh, I p- left my car there and then I started hiking and I was just kind of hiking towards where the the gas was coming from in the mountain mm-hmm. and this took me it was it, first of all it was pouring uh, we were hiking over um, a lava field over moss uh, up and down it was it was tough yeah uh, it took about four hours to go uh, and when i got there we were on top of the the nearby mountain uh, and then when you see this in front of you i just forgot i was tired i felt mm-hmm. like to me, this felt like I was a kid in a, in a candy store. And yeah, I just saw all the people walking around uh, the lava. And then after like staring in front of me for a few minutes, I just almost ran down the mountain. Wow. And then I just started yeah, photographing. This was a very intense moment for me um, because 
again, for me, this was a lifelong dream to see an eruption. And when an eruption like this happens, uh, that's approachable and you can stand next to it and you can mm. like feel it and smell it and uh, kind of step into it if you want to. Yeah. Uh, then this was just, yeah, unimaginable. And I spent uh, there, I kind of just went on autom- automatic pilot and I just started mm. photographing. And because the thing is also that I, uh, I've been looking at what other people have been doing in terms of photographing eruptions. Uh, so I could learn a little bit about how they approached it and what would be interesting shots and mm-hmm. how I could tackle this when I got there because I didn't want to waste time uh, just staring and taking some random photos. I had like a little bit of a game plan in my head. Yeah, which um, is really smart. Honestly, yeah. yeah, but I mean, I don't do this with everything, but with this, I felt like you don't know how much time you're gonna have to to spend. And with this eruption in the beginning, they thought it might only last for a day, maybe two days. Mm. So I wanted to get the most out of it that I could possibly get out of it. And yeah, this was amazing. And uh, also seeing other people's faces uh, because you're walking around there and you see everybody else who is in awe of this mm-hmm. thing unfolding in front of them and just yeah like i saw only smiling faces and some people like i don't know it's like the, the kid inside them woke up mm-hmm. running around and, like, <laughs> wanting to get as close yeah. as possible but also yes, being like also. okay maybe i should be careful but yeah it's i agree yeah yeah like yeah. this was uh yeah it was incredible incredible day to be there yeah that's awesome. I also went the route the first time I went parking at the, or near the Blue Lagoon. And at the end, I was like, this was ridiculous. It was hard <laughs> in terms of yeah. just the amount of walking you have to do. And then when you want to get back to your car and you realize that other people have taken shorter routes or parked closer, and you're just like, great. Or you, you know, yeah. you ride sometimes. But yeah, yeah that is, exactly. it was one of those like, you know, the blood, sweat, and tears. Well, not necessarily blood, unless your feet were, like, blistering or something. But <laughs> the work that you had to do to get there, you said, was worth it. And I'd have to agree. Yeah, definitely. It was worth it. Yeah. It it felt like, uh, like, the day after I went, I could not walk. I went there mm-hmm. in, a, in a helicopter. I was on a wait list for a helicopter. And when I got there, it was cool to see it again. And I kind of felt like, meh, like, the... Like the moment wasn't really built up as much as when I mm. actually hiked there. And that's something that I, uh, like I had opportunities after that to fly over it again. And I just said no, because I felt it was such a, like a much more strong feeling to me to just hike there and like mm. be there in the moment and not just have to rush and take few photos and fly off again. And yeah, this is what I just kept doing after that. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. And as you were going there, I mean, of course, going so many times can pose like interesting challenges. And you talk about this in the book as well, of trying to find different angles and things like that. What are some of your favorite moments or vantage points of the eruption that you captured? I think uh, for me, like number one uh, would be the night I photographed the northern lights above the eruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's by far the best moment throughout the whole eruption. Um, this, this like a top five of uh, best moments has changed for me a little bit uh, mm-hmm. since I wrote the book. Uh, also, because the more yeah time went by, the more I realized what an incredibly unique moment this was. Uh, yeah, and uh, this was just yeah like I. I photographed the Northern Lights above the eruption, and this photograph is not uh, technically the best photograph. Like it's a little bit overexposed, and I'm st- still very happy with this photograph. But it's like the the feeling and the story behind it, and that's something else I try to explain in the book. Is that to me, photography is a lot more about uh, the story that goes behind the image and mm-hmm. the story of the effort it took to uh, get the image than the photograph itself. And that's yeah. why probably uh, other people will look at, at my work differently than, than I do. Um, but this was, yeah, 
head and shoulders above everything else. And then after that, uh, I think must be the uh, the night, uh, the first night that you could go to the eruption after the after the new fissure opened. So mm-hmm. I think it was about two weeks after the after the eruption began. Then the new fissure opened towards the north, and this first uh, evening. Uh, this first evening we went there and after being there for half an hour we had to kind of evacuate because all the gas started coming our way Mm -hmm. and I was so yeah I was kind of bothered at the fact that we couldn't have uh, we weren't allowed to be there for uh, the 48 hours before that and I kind of wanted to get most out of the evening so we decided to walk to the south and then approach it from the other side which was I think that evening we walked around 22, 23 kilometers or something wow. just to circumvent the lava field back then. Mm-hmm. And when we got to this new crater in the north, um, the lava was flowing towards the east. And we were like, I put my backpack down and we were getting our gear out to, to take some photographs. And at the same time, the flow uh, that's exiting the crater uh, shifts towards the west mm. and starts coming exactly at us and this wow. was just yeah, i have no words for this like the yeah something in, in my head also kind of just clicked and i went on autopilot took my stuff put it on my back and then we started photographing the lava coming at us wow and uh, this was moving at maybe like one meter every uh, three to four seconds uh, roughly so you okay. could easily step you could easily, it was moving very fast but you could right, easily yeah. step away from it you could also easily just, trip and like <laughs> be in, in some danger yeah, if you were too I mean, close yeah um, i mean you still have to be very mindful of your surroundings uh, and i wasn't like it's also kind of impossible to get too close because too close means that it's already way too hot mm. so you always have uh, have some distance uh, but this was yeah just unbelievable to see this happen and uh, when we had to walk back uh, this was still uh, this we were on the north side of the lava field i think it was around seven kilometers of hiking to do mm, uh, wow after you'd already had, done 22 or something yeah yeah and then <laughs> uh, then uh, after uh, we met some other photographers who were there we were maybe like 10 15 people including two people from the search and rescue Mm-hmm. and we were hiking back and everybody was just yeah like to me this felt like the first day again it was like Aww. this n- new sensation and yeah this i will never forget this ever yeah this was so such a powerful moment and the fact that you could stand next to something that's so violent and destructive was just yeah I destructive don't think I and ever yet it's creating the earth yeah. Right. That's the yeah, same thing. Yeah. It's like creation being so destructive is kind of a fascinating conundrum. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah. To me, this is, it's probably the most powerful force on the planet or in mm-hmm. the planet even. And yeah, to get to be part of that is unique. And this, I, I'm not even sure if I will ever uh, experience something like this ever again in my life. Like, most of the time, these things are so big that you cannot stand next to them. It's just mm-hmm. not possible. And I feel like many people uh, are maybe even today not even realizing that what they have been able to see and what they have been able to do was really a once-in-a-lifetime uh, mm-hmm. event. And that's that's what made me write this book also. I wanted to convey this this feeling that I had about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, for instance, I did not feel that immediately like a once in a lifetime event because you hear about eruptions happening in Iceland and I was just mo- mostly just excited about going. And then it was after when I was like thinking about the probably the second time I went, I was like, oh, and and really seeing things change and realizing that first yeah. of all, the eruption is not going to continue on the way that it started. And it's evolution is actually what makes it so fascinating and how you show that in the book is really cool in terms of different photos and not only photos of just the eruption, but even like the Valley, like I mentioned you, one of my favorite photos is the black lava contrasted with the white snow having filled up this Valley. And it's just so stark and beautiful, but that is the new earth that's being created. And yeah, I, I agree about being at once in a lifetime. And I look back at that. And I'm like, wow, 
how is this? Because proximity, first of all, like you mentioned this, proximity to yeah, the yeah. volcano, the ability, ability to hike to it, the fact that it was the kind of like perfect situation in terms of type of volcano that happened, right? It's a yeah, lot. Yeah, so yeah, we're very, very fortunate people. And for yourself, who, you know, really carved out a lot of time <laughs> to yeah. document it is also super unique. And to have that opportunity to just go back as many times as your body will allow you and your equipment to last to capture as many photos as possible. Yeah, I've been very uh, fortunate also that because uh, I, I have a one and a half year old daughter that my, my girlfriend has been willing to uh, be alone with her so I could oh, do this. Yeah. Uh, like I'm very grateful for that. But also like I've had this idea to do a book uh, for a very long time. Uh, but a different book, a book about mm. Iceland and my photography about Iceland. Um, I never really uh, did this book because I was always missing the fire bit of the land of fire mm. and ice. Mm. So I never bothered to start on this project. And then when this happened, it kind of yeah, snowballed into this idea of doing a book. I think after the eruption had been ongoing for two months, I had started writing text for it mm -hmm. and then it just it all kind of went yeah i had so much inspiration because of this uh, that it kind of went really really fast at the end of summer uh, i had already finished the book uh, wow before yeah before the eruption ever over <laughs> yeah yeah i was i was already at the point where i'm like yeah how am i going to end this because the eruption mm. is still going uh, so yeah this was a bit of a challenge, but uh, yeah, it's it went very fast. When I tell people that I, I did this in, in maybe four or five months uh, tops, they're always very amazed at how quick I was able to deliver a book like this. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes when you have the inspiration, it just... Yeah. yeah. Just when happens. you have close to a lifetime of waiting and like that passion just flows out of you, I guess... Yeah, for you, yeah. it was. It wasn't. It wasn't. It seems like that, but in reality, it's like your brain has been contemplating this <laughs> for so yeah, long. Yeah, of course, of course, yeah. definitely. Yeah. That's awesome. And in terms of challenges, because it's easy to talk about this after you've done it, meaning like when people think, "Oh, yeah, I would love to go to the volcano that many times." It's like, well, <laughs> conditions were intense. So, could you talk? too, about some of the challenges that you faced with the weather and different aspects? Yeah, like, first of all, uh, people uh, seem to forget, but this eruption began in winter, and it was very much winter up there, uh, even though there was a, a really hot volcano erupting. And I've had times when I went there um, uh, that we had to hike in the fog, for example, you're hiking hiking in fog and the only thing you can see is uh red around you it's just wow. all everything is red and uh sometimes the fog was so dense that you couldn't even see the the crater you couldn't even see the edge of the lava field and wow. you kind of had to yeah you have to be good at uh, uh orientation to figure this out because there is no other than the this uh, crater, there is nothing that really shows you uh, where to go. Right. There's no warning signs either to be like, hey, by the way, don't step over there. <laughs> so, no, no, exactly. Yeah. So you're kind of just uh, yeah, figuring it out uh, as you go. Mm -hmm. um, and then yeah, a lot of uh, days where the weather just changes every five minutes. Like, I know this is like the classic thing to say about Iceland, how the weather changes every five minutes. But <laughs> It actually happens uh, many yeah, days. True. Mm -hmm. And I remember this one evening that we had, uh, uh, it was when we went up there, it was kind of sunny. Then we got there, uh, the wind picked up tremendously. It started hailing, then it was sunny, then it started raining, then it was sunny again, then wow. it was snowing. And you're sitting there and it's just like, yeah, you kind of have to sometimes motivate yourself to, to keep going. Yeah. Because it's not all uh, sunshine and rainbows uh, most of the time, even. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, this has been uh, yeah interesting uh, to be also to be outdoors in winter uh, so often without protection. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, because usually when I go hiking, I go hiking in summer. And I, up to that point, I had never done a lot of winter hiking. So it oh, was wow. a bit of a, yeah, it was a bit of a, a challenge. There was also this one evening where we uh, started heading down. It became dark. Yeah. And then it started snowing like crazy. Oh, no. And we were just walking and we could like figure out there's a, a by that time they had put up like uh, uh, markers on the trail. And we were, could see like one marker at a time. <laughs> So we could figure out where to go. Like, fortunately, I'm, I have a very good sense of direction. Yeah. So this all worked out, but I wouldn't. Yeah. If if wow. the country would have been open to tourists, I could have imagined many, many, many people getting into trouble there uh, in the winter. Yeah. Well, there were people who did get into trouble, even though the country was not open to tourists. And yeah, the search yeah. and rescue teams were out there having to rescue people who got, got lost and in the evenings because they didn't have like a light to get back or appropriate clothing and stuff. So yeah, even yeah, for the people correct. who lived here, there were people who were hiking in sneakers. Like I remember going there and thinking to myself, like, are you serious right now? <laughs> this is no yeah. offense. You know, I understand that maybe not everyone's prepared. Like you mentioned, like winter hiking is not really something you were doing before, but as a guide, you at least have a sense of like what to wear. To yeah, shoot, I, I mean, like I know that I know like what like uh, it's not because I ha- hadn't done it before that I didn't know how to prepare myself for it. Right. But even when you go out hiking in win uh, in winter or summer, there are some basics that you have to uh, take care of, like proper shoes. <laughs> number one, I think. And yes. like you said, I've seen many people there in sneakers. I even saw one uh, one day saw someone in uh, in slippers. You can't imagine. Give me a break already. These people, yeah. this person must have broken their ankles. Like this is ridiculous. Yeah, I, I don't understand. Like I don't understand how some people do it. And also, I don't understand how some people just run down the mountain. Uh, yeah. Well, I have to be very. Some people are seemingly able to do it. Yes, my my husband, for instance, is like this. So he, I call him a mountain goat. Even though he's not the best, like I'm the one who's faster at hiking up because I love hiking up. That's like the challenge for me is like the burn, you know, but when it comes to going down, I often am really taking my time and being a little bit slower because rocks are moving and stuff. And he's just like, and I'm just like, what is this? But he said as a child, that's something that he used to do. So his feeling of it is excitement. It's almost like yeah. I'm not gonna fall. It's, you know, you're kind of like challenging yourself. Whereas I'm like, I'm I'm definitely not willing to take that risk. Whereas some people's yeah. risk tolerance is way higher. So, yeah, there's yeah. just interesting people out there in the world. We're all different, yeah. and that can be good and also <laughs> sometimes dangerous looking. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, for people who you know, in terms of clothing for winter hiking in general, like what do you recommend clothing wise then if they were going to go on a hike that potentially to a volcano, let's say. Um, Here in Iceland, I would really recommend uh, layers. I think it's like the biggest uh, uh, thing that I've seen with people I've been guiding is that they usually overdress because they're afraid they're going to be, cold mm-hmm. and they forget that when they're moving they heat they warm up and it's really good to just dress light and by the time you stop and you are at the eruption for example you just dress up again mm-hmm. i think that's probably the biggest tip uh, that i can give uh, yeah because also the more you sweat the colder you will get when you're uh, you're just sitting around uh, yes yeah. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you don't have layers that breathe or like are giving you the like evaporating the sweat that you're emitting. So, yeah, definitely. And you mentioned before about your girlfriend and the baby. But how did your family feel about you going so many times? Was it like they were afraid for you? Because there were different times where the gas levels, like you mentioned you had a gas mask, but like the gas levels might have been unfavorable in terms of the wind or you hear about the volcano basically spewing like a geyser up in the air you know yeah. and you even mentioned that sometimes you were being hit by like lava that had essentially yeah, yeah. Uh, cooled as it was dropping from the sky so was there ever any concern about that i think um they've never really been uh, worried because they know that i'm uh, very responsible in that way like i will never do anything that will endanger myself 
even though I get very excited about, about <laughs> these things, uh, that I will not do anything that's like really dangerous. Uh, but I think the first day that was a little bit different because uh, like for me, this was the first day that I went to any eruption. Mm. Uh, we didn't really know much about it yet. And mm-hmm. uh, to add on top of that, there was no cell phone reception. Mm. So yeah. that's a little bit of a, yeah. But yeah, my girlfriend also knew that she couldn't stop me. Like this was something that I really wanted. <laughs> the passion in your heart could not be contained. Yeah, this would have been like my worst nightmare if I if I would have been uh, had to be at home for whatever reason. And we knew that this moment was going to come. We had talked about it before. Mm, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we knew that. By the time it became clear that there was probably going to be an eruption, we had already talked about this and said, uh, look, when this happens, then that will mean that I will have to go. And we had like a sort of yeah, good understanding uh, about this. So That's yeah. great. I think that communication is key always in relationships, yeah, yeah. regardless if it's you're someone, you're, you know, intimate partner or family or whatever. And so it's good that there was already this preemptive idea of, this is important to me and I would, you know, appreciate if you support me on this particular. Yeah. Because most people, not to say everybody, but I don't think everyone usually has these kind of conversations. It's just impulse that impulse that takes over and then you're just gone, you know? And it's like, well, I mean, for me, for me, this has been, this has been building up for such a long time. And also like, I'm the guy who uh, I'm probably the most frequent visitor of the um, uh, Vederstova website because I'm monitoring what's going on everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, when something happens, I want to know about it. I want to be there. And uh, like every time that there was like a chance that something might start, we, we kind of, you know, had this conversation. Yeah. So at some point this was going to, this was going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And he said, like you said, Vederstova, which is the weather office for people who don't know but yeah exactly i mean and also safe travel that i asked i would guess as well for gas information and stuff like that or yeah i kind of yeah i kind of at that time they weren't really uh, publishing much information about this okay. yet uh, on the first days and i kind of just used common sense and uh, looked at where the wind was coming from so i knew mm-hmm. where to go and where to go from but i think yeah that's kind of the the biggest uh, or the most important thing to me was to use common sense. Like you sort of have a sense of what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. Right. And of course there are some things that you don't know about, like uh, uh, certain gases that uh, stick around in the valley and they don't rise, for example. And you just pay uh, very well attention to what scientists have to say about this. I think that's uh, the most important thing to do when you live in a country like this is to listen to the people who do know uh, most about it. Yeah, absolutely. The experts, even though it's like with the experts, the interesting part about this is that they can't predict how long it was going to be either. And that was kind of fascinating to hear like, well, actually it might be years. Who knows? You know? (laughs) So, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're very good at that. They always give you like a, a wide uh, variety of answers to a question. Uh, mm-hmm. And I can understand why, because the, on the day that the eruption began, I think at the time the eruption began, there was a geologist who went on the national news and said, there will be no eruption. And at the same time, an eruption <laughs> was starting what uh, luck. on this location. Yeah. Like, you know, you get kind of, yeah, people remember these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a hard I mean, one to follow, to be literally yeah. interrupting like, oh, yeah, hold my beer. Right? <laughs> so. yeah. but, I mean, yeah, it shows how little we know about this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to hear uh, many different perspectives on this and. I'm really happy also that this eruption was a very atypical eruption. Uh, they didn't know much about what was going on and what was going to happen. And that also means that we learned a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. We learned a lot from it. Absolutely. Were you keeping a journal while you were doing this? Or were you just remembering when you decided to write the book from memory? 
I mean, granted, it was some months, but, you know, like emotional wise, were you just jotting down your thoughts and things like that as you were going along? Um, not really. Well, sort of, uh, maybe through my social media, because I tried mm. to not uh, schedule much in advance. So I kind of, I kind of wing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, this sort of helped me uh, do that. And then I also occasionally write blogs. So mm-hmm. I... Uh, do write down my uh, my thoughts in some way, but I don't really keep a, a journal per se. Okay. And this impact, because you mentioned, I mean, physically in terms of getting into shape, <laughs> that was an impact for you. But as a photographer, as a person, what kind of impact did going to the volcano and, and seeing the eruption and documenting it so much have on you? This was uh, really big. Uh, it's really curious, but the, the year before in 2020, when the country was literally empty and there were no tourists here, I kind of struggled with, uh, I call it uh, photography writer's block. Like mm. I sort of did not have any inspiration. And I didn't really feel like I was doing a good job for myself. In, mm. yeah, I, It was like... In 2020, I did a trip that I've been wanting to do for a very long time, and that was to uh, rent a a 4x4 and just explore the highlands and only the Mm -hmm. highlands. Yeah, So to drive on roads and um, be away from normal roads as much as possible. And this was an amazing trip, and I didn't really feel like I made that many great photos for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I didn't, I don't know, it's difficult to explain. It's like I just didn't have the inspiration to find new vantage points and do something different. And then when this eruption began, this, yeah, I just uh, completely changed gears and okay. also mentally just completely changed gears. I just had so much inspiration. And on this first day, I kind of, uh, I mentioned that I had like this little a list of photographs that inspired me and that I uh, found some uh, found to be inspiring to create my own photographs. Mm-hmm. And on this first night at the eruption, I kind of finished this list and then I had to find new things. And I found that this was a, I found it a very interesting creative challenge to uh, photograph something that's uh, constantly changing, but also, to photograph something that a thousand people are also photographing mm. and still try to do something different. Right. And I, uh, I almost went, I went there and had a certain methodology to, to what I was doing. Like I, uh, one of the things that I realized very early on was that the longer this eruption was going to last, the further away I was going to have to be standing. Mm. So I was trying to do as much with my camera and as much with a wide angle lens uh, as early as possible, because that wouldn't be very interesting uh, later on during the eruption. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there were very many people flying their drones, and I could not for the life of me understand why they were doing that, because this is something that you will be able to do three months down the line as well. Yeah, You will be able to always fly over it and always get to to the center of the eruption. But in the beginning, you have to do different things, because you can do different things. And this, yeah, I kind of went on, um, like I started browsing Instagram and looking mm. at what other people were doing. And then I mm. decided I'm not going to do that. Mm. So I kind of, I kind of purposely looked at what, what I thought was, uh, overly photographed. And then I, uh, tried to do things different to show to people that you could do them differently. Also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. And I'll have for people who are listening to this. So there's the audio and then there's the video aspect. Because right now I have like up following you on Instagram. I'll have the link in the show notes of the audio only portion of this where people can check out your Instagram because definitely there's beautiful photos, of course, not, not surprisingly. <laughs> and of course, also in that same uh, show notes will be like the description in the description, the link for your book. And any other things you want to share link-wise, maybe your website or something of that nature. But yeah, I think that's really great advice also to think about 
what other people are not doing or like just be unique in your perspective and not feeling like you need to follow what, what everyone else is doing. Because then people, like you mentioned, get a different vantage point, maybe different stories, things of that nature. So I completely agree with that. Uh, but, you know, those are people who, of course, were flying drones into the volcano. <laughs> so yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a different, you know, I mean, that is something a lot of people were not doing, mainly because that's ridiculously expensive. But such is life. <laughs> and, so in terms of your in Iceland in general because you do guide people around and obviously you have a lot of experience there I'm wondering do you have any general advice or like favorite places in Iceland other than the volcano and the site yeah I think uh, uh, like my one of my favorite locations is probably uh, Kertlingarfjöll in mm-hmm. the islands. This is, yeah, to me, this is like when you arrive there, it's like you're on a different planet. Uh, it's such a, yeah, to, to describe it a little bit, it's, um, uh, so it's in the center of the highlands. It's close to Hofsjökull uh, mm-hmm. glacier. And you kind of drive to the, to the top of a mountain range. And then when you get there, you look down into a valley uh, and it's smoking and steaming everywhere. Mm. So it's a really big geothermal area. And it's so big of an area that it's like, yeah, to me, when you, you can like walk in between the, the mud pools and uh, uh, the steam rising, and it's so big that you really feel like this is not the place that is on this planet. Mm, yeah and that makes it very unique uh, and also the fact that there are not very many people bothering to go there either. right which if you are wanting to go uh to, into the highlands most time you have to cross rivers so for people who are interested in that it's better to get a guide if you are not uh skilled or have you know cross rivers in a car before because that can be really dangerous most rental car companies do not allow you to drive their cars uh, into the highlands on F roads to cross rivers and things like that. Because basically if you drown the engine, which is a good chance you will, if you don't know what you're doing uh, or wreck the car, you have to pay for the cost of the car and it's not covered in insurance. So that would be a very expensive vacation. <laughs> so I always recommend personally going with a guide. That's what I normally do. Cause I'm not skilled in that. And I also do not want that stress. That's intense. Yeah, exactly. I think it's it also um, a lot of people seem to think that they know how to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen people do incredibly stupid things, like thinking that if you drive fast, it's better because you will get yeah. quicker to the other side. That's usually the worst thing you can do. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, or you see someone advice. take a certain route, and you think. I don't like that way because you read like reading a river is basically a skill, right? And I know this from hiking in the Highlands. So I've been on like a nine day trip and a couple, like a couple of like, you know, three or two day trips, but the nine day hiking trip was probably the most, not only extensive, but life changing for me because we had to go through some rivers where it was almost like at waist level. And yeah, yeah. when the guide was reading the river, it was like, oh, this is super interesting. Because what you might in, like think when you see the river as being a shallow point, it's like, actually, no, over there is better. And it's like, how do you even know this? <laughs> you know, yeah, and you start yeah, to pick up on these patterns that um, maybe just from guessing could really get you into trouble or could like see you fall or being, you know, rushed down the river with the water and stuff like that. So it's fascinating. Yeah, and exactly where you... And where you are is also very important uh, mm-hmm. to know because you don't want to be taking risks when you know that the the uh, place they have to send help from is maybe hours away. Yeah. Uh, people Definitely. tend to forget that sometimes because everything is so... Uh, I think Iceland in general is uh, an easy country to travel and that uh, tends to cause people to think that everything is very nearby also mm-hmm. people can get there very fast which is usually not the case no and search and rescue teams are volunteer organizations so you know these people yeah, are not yeah. just sitting there twiddling their thumbs uh they're working jobs a lot of the times most of them and yeah. then going on call in order to help save people's lives so yeah definitely okay 
And we're coming up on the anniversary of the eruption, just kind of getting back to that. So what are your feelings around that? I mean, it feels like time has flown for me personally, but how do you feel? I mean, time has definitely flown by. Uh, and for me, when I look at what I was doing a year ago, my life got changed in so many ways. Uh, not only did I publish a book, but I'm now also, uh, before that, I was working in uh, for a software company. Mm. And I kind of just quit my job and I started uh, my own company. I'm now full-time into photography and full-time into guiding. Nice. Um, I, yeah, this, the attention that I got with my work uh, has been a, a really welcome boost to finally be able to do this uh, and to live my dream, so to speak, yeah. because this is something that I've been wanting to do for the longest time, uh, to start my own company and live on that. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's incredible, too, that you following this lifelong dream, like really like acting on it and allowing yourself to that passion just to flow through you and the adrenaline that got you through so many days of crazy weather <laughs> and negative 18 Celsius. I think you mentioned at one point temperatures yeah, yeah. that is paying off in, in an awesome way. So congratulations on being able to, you know, have your own company and share your passion with the world. I mean, it's kind of, I, I try to explain this to uh, everyone that I'm guiding is to people always ask like, why did you move? And, and then I usually answer with why shouldn't I have? <laughs> and I, I always think like if, if that, and that's essentially the reason why I decided to move was to think like, what's the worst thing that could happen when I move? Like what is the worst scenario? And then I always think of in that case, Oh, that I would, have had to return to Belgium and continue on with what I was doing in Belgium. And then I thought, okay, if that's the worst thing, then I should just do it. And I mm. didn't want to become this 50 year old man who was thinking of how, oh, what could my life have been if I would have moved to Iceland uh, back in my thirties. Yeah. And that's kind of how I tried to live today is to, just do it and if it fails then it fails and that's just something that I can learn something from yeah uh, and as long as I have a have a home and I have a family then everything is all right it's gonna be all right yeah. yeah awesome and my last question for you is one I ask everybody in my interviews which is it has to do with Icelandic so if you don't have a word or phrase that's okay but I'm curious if you do have a favorite Icelandic word or phrase Oh, that's a. I have a lot of things that I find really funny. Um, mm -hmm. I, uh, a word that I think a lot about is uh, strax. Strax, yeah. <laughs> Immediately. <Okay. laughs> yes, because uh, what I find really funny about it is that in my language, the same word, it means later. Oh, weird. <laughs> so you're like, what? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I think this is, I think it's a really funny one because also I'm raising my daughter bilingual. Mm. Uh, so she's going to learn Icelandic and uh, Dutch. So this is going to become very interesting when she starts figuring out the words like this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Poor kid. <laughs> in, that, yeah. in that regard of like, what, what, what are you asking me for immediately or for later? Just explain the context <laughs> right now. So. But I think, like in terms of like phrases, I think uh, with what I said before, uh, my most important one would be "tetaretast," mm. and that everything will turn out okay in the end. Yeah, and that's something that I learned here. I learned to um, like embrace this uh, this way of living because mm -hmm. in Belgium I used to be very stressed and uptight, and everything had to be very yeah. To be very uh, uh, outlined, and I learned not to live like that, and I feel a lot more relaxed because of it. Yeah. How long did it take you to get to a point of feel of embracing Tataratast? I think probably being here for like two, two, three years or something. Okay. When you when you've experienced a few winters here, I think that's that's probably the key. Like in winter, everything just you know, you just go with nature. Uh, it's very different than summer. Uh, I think once you've experienced that, then 
you kind of have to. Uh, yeah. It's really nice. Life take you. <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I agree with that in terms of especially, yeah, the winter time. I mean, I my first winter was not my favorite. I definitely had to figure out ways of dealing with it that works for me, you know, instead of just yeah, yeah. being like, get a light, a lamp or do whatever. And I'm, I have nothing against lamps, but it just wasn't something that made me feel like it was helping. I needed kind of other things like exercising, going outside, doing all these things that just kept me more active, having big projects. Yeah. All things Iceland came out of winter <laughs> and yeah. needing like something to put my like efforts into. So absolutely. Great. Well, as I'd mentioned, well, congratulations again on the book. And I've definitely enjoyed it a lot. New Earth. For those, and it's New Earth, the full title is A Photographic Journey of the Geldinga Dalur Eruption. And of course, you can check that out via the link in the description or show notes, depending on what you, you know, how you're listening or viewing. Do you have any other things you want to say before we wrap up? Mm, no, I think I'm, I'm good. It's all good. People can just find out more about your journey as they read and yes. look at the book. I mean, granted, there's a lot of photos in here. So for people who are kind of curious, I'll just flip to one randomly. And like this photo is beautiful. And there's so many. And of course, over on your Instagram and places like that, people can check those out. So yeah, thank you so much, ja- Jarun. I'm like, I'm going to say this wrong. Jarun. Yeah. Yeah, okay, sorry. Yes. This is I, I'm not used to Belgian names. <laughs> so. uh, it's, a, it's a difficult name for everyone not speaking my language, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but thanks so much again for coming on and I hope people check out your book and also the other endeavors. I mean, it sounds like you've got your fire aspect to the other book you're working on, so maybe that's something we can expect in the future. Yeah, it's definitely something that is going to come. I know that. Uh, I'm just yeah. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to approach it right now. But it's something that is going to happen. So stay tuned. Yes. Thanks again. And thanks to you to everybody who listened and watched along. 